I want to welcome you back to our series of dealing with anxiety and depression. This is our fourth evening that we've come together here, and I am so glad to have a friend, a pastor friend. Um, Harley and I were in India earlier this year, and before we started recording here, he made mention, who would have thought four months ago, five months ago, and we were together, that this would be what um, America and the world would be like. We were reaching people in India with the gospel and, and preaching and having a great time together on the other side of the world. And we came back and um, everything has changed. And we've prayed through this and we are dealing with a lot of people that are dealing with depression and anxiety. And many of you have been following us for each of these four evenings. And um, so I want to welcome Harley and thank you for being here contributing to this. And so I want you to tell us about yourself, your family, and um, what you do. Thank you, Jeremy. Uh, it's just a joy to be with your church family. Appreciate you letting us have a part in what uh, God has laid on your heart. And uh, like you said, who would have thought four months ago we'd be navigating what we have. Uh, I am excited, though, to see what God's doing, uh, the resiliency of God's people, both here in Worcester. We pastor North Life Baptist Church. Uh, which is a church plant we started 11 years ago here, kind of just the north edge of Amish country, uh, if that gives you a reference point for Ohio. And uh, we've been here 11 years now. And my wife and I serve as the lead pastor of, the, of our church, uh, as well as working uh, in an auxiliary ministry of our church, which is a counseling uh, emphasis. And uh, we're excited about how God is growing that. I do think that's one of the positives of this season has been what it's exposed in God's people and uh, the growth points that need to be taken. And so we're excited to see what God's doing. Uh, I did uh, my undergrad studies at Pensacola Christian College in uh, pastoral uh, ministry, uh, and then got a master's degree in biblical counseling from Maranatha Baptist University, uh, as well as some training at faith biblical counseling in Lafayette, Indiana. Uh, and I would say, as probably you could attest, Jeremy, I think uh, pastoring shows you your gaps, your inadequacies. Sure does. And counseling definitely was that, uh, just I sense that, the need for personal sanctification and bringing the Bible and its principles to bear. And, uh, and so we've been excited, my wife and I, to see God use that and uh, just to see uh, people being willing to uh, trust God's word, to obey God's word and what that accomplishes, as well as to weave in you know, clinical information and help and point them to others that can help them. And so we've been at that for about eight years now, the counseling aspect, and just excited to see what God's doing here and excited on what God will do through our time this, uh, this afternoon. Great. I, um, I was really excited when we were praying through a list of people and your name came up and um, I was really excited that you're going to be a part of this. No. Excited because you are pastoring people. And mm -hmm. so from a pastor, you're dealing with, you're seeing your, your flock deal with depression and anxiety through these times, I'm sure. But as a counselor as well, um, I know you don't just counsel your church people, you counsel others as well. And our last um, episode, um, yesterday we had Kelly Burns, and she is a Christian counselor as well. And um, she tells us that depression and anxiety is really on the uptick. She's yeah. dealing a lot with that. And um, not that our people don't trust pastors. I hope they trust pastors. But to know that you've got that training in counseling, and this is just something you consistently deal with, 
um, and helping people through it. The theme that we're seeing through this series is there's hope. Um, if someone is dealing with anxiety or depression, it's not hopeless. They may feel like it at the moment, but there is hope. And I'm, I'm really excited about the questions that we're going to look at today and um, looking forward to your answers. And so let's dive right into it. Sure. And um, uh, I, I want to start just with mental health in general. A lot of times that, that statement, mental health, has a stigma to it. And um, people don't want to be known of, as having mental health issues. Sure. But depression, anxiety is something that a lot of people battle with. Why do you feel like we must talk about the effects of depression and anxiety? Uh, I would say a few things on that. Obviously, that's a, that's a broad question. There's a lot that we could talk about. But to succinctly put it, a lot of, of what is described as clinical depression, um, what is described as anxiety, that can look in a lot of different forms, panic attacks, uh, there are a lot of forms of that and how that looks. And I'm, I'm counseling with several right now. Um, they're dealing with either the depression side of the equation or the anxiety. And that is a symptom based for the most part diagnosis. So it typically would have in um, a list of descriptives or characteristics. And from that, uh, they would derive or assess. Of course, there are some brain related effects of depression and anxiety that you can measure but it typically is more of a symptom-based diagnosis. And so with that, one of the reasons we have to talk about it, and I appreciate you doing so, is that the symptoms can be somewhat subjective in how they're assessed, how they're diagnosed, how they're resolved um, and managed. And so I think with that subjectivity, as you just alluded to, comes human opinion and assessment and with that often is either self-imposed stigma or from family or society, or even unfortunately the body of Christ, to be depressed, to be anxious is viewed as a character flaw. It's viewed as something that um, you're inferior, you're not adequate, you don't measure up. And so with that, I think often there's a lack of willingness and often the presence of reluctance to verbalize that. Uh, or to identify or associate with somebody who has that, that condition or that malady. Um, and so I think that's why it's important. Just the fact you as a pastor and myself as a pastor are willing to be talking about it, that in and of itself is a ministry. And I hope you appreciate that, Brother Rands. I, I, that's encouraging. And there are others I'm sure watching right now that just knowing that two men who love Christ and love the body of Christ think this is important that in of itself opens up some doors of opportunity for healing, for resolution, and even just how to maintain and navigate uh, what these dear folks navigate. Um, and then I think also there, it's taking a toll in our culture. Um, you and I, as we got on today, we're talking about the fact that it's affecting our churches. It's affecting your church there in Toledo. It's affecting mine here in Worcester. And I'm sure pastor friends of ours and believers could echo those sentiments. And those are effects and consequences that cannot, excuse me, cannot be avoided until we deal with the core issues. Okay. Um, to ignore them, to try to deny them, uh, will never lead us to a good place. And so we have to address it. Um, and then the last thing I would say is this, I, I was just reading again today in prep for our session, most studies will acknowledge, even from a secular psych, uh, uh, psychologist perspective, psychiatric perspective, that talk therapy is often equally effective to chemical therapy. 
So we're not today going to discount chemical therapy. There are parts and roles that that does play, but a lot of anxiety and depression is just sharing it. And I know you subscribe to this, but community believers, uh, those who know Christ as savior, we're designed to live life, to do life in community. And that's not just when things are going well. That's also when we're dealing with the kind of battles that we're talking about today, the soul level, the darker side of the human condition and experience and so I think the body of Christ, we as believers, we need to be comfortable talking uh, on such a crucial issue. Yeah. You know, I think often that verse, when God looked out at creation and it was perfect at that time, mm-hmm. Adam was created, Adam had God, Adam had all of creation, and God said, it's not good for man to be alone. Yeah. And he created a helpmeet for him, another human being. Mm-hmm. He didn't create another animal or another tree. He created another human being That's good. and um, through even the last several months, as we've looked at the, the coronavirus COVID-19 issue, the church hasn't been able to be together. Mm-hmm. I know our people here at, in uh, Clover Road have said, we just want to see each other again. Yeah. Our first Sunday back, um, it was actually in a service where we were outside in cars and people were waving and, and just so excited just to be able to see another human yeah. and um, another Christian. And when we don't have that, it does create that loneliness. And uh, so um, how, do, how do we then destigmatize the, the negative perspe- uh, perceptions that surround um, mental health? How, how, how do you suggest that? And I do think that hopefully is a part of what we're going to do today and your church this week with this series is I think just verbalizing it, talking about it. But I think there are a few things that I thought of in different realms. So I think, you know, we talk about destigmatizing or removing the stigma or the, the negative connotations. Oh, you have depression. Oh, you have anxiety and how that's imposed on someone in a way that's not helpful. I think first it begins inside of us, to be honest with you, Jeremy, I think it's a matter of how we view ourselves through the lens of the gospel, how we view ourselves through the eyes of Christ and, and how we're identified. Um, and I think, so I think the term I would use is self-talk. Like, you know, today I'm sure you've had self-talk, whether you've, you know, consciously thought, so I have, how I view my day, how I just did what I handled, how that's viewed, even right now, there's a narrative going on in our heads, those that are watching. So I think a lot of the stigma is actually inside of us. Um, I am grateful, and I'm sure you can see it. You've been at it some years as well, Brother Rands, in ministry. I do think we're seeing a shift from the outside where there's not quite as much of that in Christian circles, and I'm grateful for that. Um, So I, I would say if someone's struggling that's watching right now with the stigma it may not be that it's from within, but it's very likely that part of that is more your perception than actually imposed by others or the culture, Christian culture or otherwise that's around you. Um, And I read the other day, someone said the unhappiest people in the world are the ones who worry the most about what others think of them. Mm. And I think there's a compounding of that where there's the initial anxiety or depression that then becomes cyclical where now, not only do I feel down or I'm raced, my heart's racing, but also what are others thinking of me right. actually snowballs. And now right. we have two issues going on, the outside narrative or perception of what's going on, and then this self-talk or awareness on the inside. So I think first I would just admonish us all 
to be honest about where we have a wrong view of these issues that we deal with in our fallen world. They're no different, they're no worse or better than any other struggle that we deal with in our fallen world. They may have more intense uh, consequences or be more pervasive than some other struggles, but they are, um, they're the same. They're, they're just another part of our human condition. And so I think that's part of it is the self-talk. Uh, and then I think secondly, um, in our career setting, uh, one of the things I deal with, and I don't know if you've thought of this, Brother Rands, I'm sure some of the men, especially tuning in, or ladies who are professionals, but there is a stigma. If I start going to get counseling, that goes in my personal file. There, there's a, there's a, in the career setting, that often can be a concern. I just counseled a man, a dear man, uh, who would suffer from intense panic attacks that would compromise his work in construction. He would often be high up. And his main concern was not I'm mentally and physically and spiritually healthy. It was, I'm going to lose my job if my employer hears that, that I have a mental problem. I have a mental illness. So, you know, my caution on that would be, you know, we're all dispensable people. Someday someone else will pastor your church and pastor mine and whatever other professions are represented here this evening. But our health is not replaceable, our, our well-being. And so I think just be careful not to put career or vocation interest ahead of your own well-being. That would be the second thing I would say. And then if you're an employer, a boss, as we are, we have staff that work under us, that we take very seriously the mental health of those that serve with us. Uh, and then the last thing I would say would be um, as it relates to family, and I think this might speak to your church and each family, um, I would dare say in your church, there are young people right now battling either anxiety and or depression. And how we talk about it, how we interact with it before our families during the formative years of our kids is key. Yeah. Um, you, I'm sure you believe this too, Brother Rands, but I think sometimes we talk about things in the front seat with our spouse without considering how that's perceived by the kids in the back row. And later when they face those same issues, those things will come back. And so what, I, what I'm trying to do, I have two boys, and I would encourage all the parents watching right now and grandparents, is preempt that anxiety and depression and the stigma related to it by telling your kids, it's not a matter of if you're gonna feel depressed or be anxious, it's probably just when. I'd be honored to be the first person you reach out to as it relates to that. And so I think it's, it's being uh, proactive instead of reactive because typically that reactiveness does give off stigma vibes, you know, what's wrong with you or why can't you get control of yourself versus we all struggle with this dad at times, mom at times gets down and, and, and I want to be a part of helping you figure out what I'm figuring out and then point them to others if they need, you know, additional help or perspective. You know, you look at kids, they, my boys cheer for the same teens that I do. They, they view, they view sports the same way. They view hobbies the same way. Well, we're also shaping their view of these kind of the underbelly of our human existence, which is the emotional swings, the ebbs and flows of that. Um, and so I think, I think that's where we can start inside of us. We go to work. I think we need to be careful in that relationship. And then when we go home, all three of those are key that really set us up to be able to uh, affirm that it's a real struggle and then come with answers from the word of God and other spirit guided professionals to deal with those issues. Well, that's good. That's really good. Uh, I appreciate that. Sure. Um, let's talk a little bit about mental health in the Christian. Now, if you're watching this um, and you don't know Christ as your Savior, we, um, 
we believe as Bible believers uh, that Christ is the answer. There's, there's hope and help through him. And we would love to give you more information on that. But don't tune us out if you're not a Christian and say, well, this isn't for me right now, because I believe that this will be a great help to whoever's listening. Um, but in mental health and, and the Christian, how, should, how do you think the believer should process the, the misguided Christian assumption uh, regarding mis, uh, mental health? Yeah, and, and we've touched on this, and I would say, uh, to be honest with your church family and those watching this evening, that unfortunately, and, and I'm sure you could attest to this as well, Brother Rands, there's almost more of it still in the Christian setting than there is in the world setting as it relates to false stigma or assumptions about mental health. And I regularly, um, I find myself, to be honest with you as a pastor and as a counselor, often compensating for well-meaning believers who are either passing judgment, giving a superficial solution. And so that's probably, I deal with that as much as giving them help is, is, is re, you know, maybe uh, plowing up some things that were planted in their heart or mind as a young person or adult growing up in church that, that we still are navigating. And, and sadly is keeping folks from help and therapy and resolution of the issues. So I, I just, I wanted to stress that before we talk about specifics. I, for me, I listed two and I'm sure there are others, but the first one I, I hear often is the answer to mental health challenges is to pray harder yeah. and to exhibit or manifest more faith. Um, and therefore by that, if you have anxiety and or depression, you don't pray hard enough and you don't have enough faith. Um, and that obviously, um, I don't know about you, Brother Rands, but that's a bit of a soapbox if I'm not careful. I would say that leans toward prosperity gospel. Right. By that, I mean, there's almost this contract between God and his people that if we do enough good and we pray enough and give enough or whatever, that that leads to health, wealth, and prosperity. Um, and so I, I would first of all say that's, that's the antithesis of scripture that the premise of that statement or that understanding. That's right. That's right. Um, the word of God clearly gives over and over in scripture, people who by prosperity gospel standards were failures. Paul was stoned to death. He was run out of every town that he ministered the gospel. Um, you know, John the Baptist, I believe we see remnants of depression in his heart as he said, Christ, are you the one or should we look for another there in the prison? They battled persecution. They didn't have health, wealth, and prosperity, and not just health physically, but mentally. I think they struggled with some of these things. Um, and so that, if that was normal, if that was the normalized experience of the believers of the first century, then I think we are foolish and out of step with the gospel to say recklessly that that's not going to be true in our day, uh, that folks will deal with that. So I think that's one stigma um, that we need to push back against um, and not allow to gain a root. I, I honestly don't know that it's it's over as much as it's kind of subconscious. We think that someone gets sick, if someone has a major falling out relationally or financially, what's our first assumption? We tend to go negative. Right. You know, they must have done something to deserve that or, you know, whatever. And And I think that same thinking transfers many times into this area where some of the most godly people I know, and you and I, you know, we have mutual friends, 
that every day battle depression and God is mightily using them. His favor is unmistakably upon them. Uh, and so for us to say that that man or that woman doesn't have enough faith, uh, which by the way, is more about the, the, the object of your faith than the quantity of your faith, um, and they're not praying hard enough um, is, is a misrepresentation of the gospel. And so I, I think it really gets down to a theological view of God's grace and his mercy and the fact that we still have struggles in this life and uh, they are not necessarily the result of our, our personal, you know, shortcomings spiritually. Um, and then the more, the more direct one is folks who will say that it's the result of personal sin. So it's not just they're lacking positive attributes, you know, be sins of omission. They're not praying or believing. It would be sins of commission. They must have had an affair or, you know, there's something dishonest they're doing at work or, you know, something of that nature. And uh, they basically would say to have depression, to have anxiety is a character flaw. It's either the, the cause or the consequence of sin. Um, and so they would, they would use that and pass judgment. And, and I've, been, I've counseled people who've been on the receiving end of that, um, and it devastates them. Um, I use this example with sex um, victims, abuse victims, physical or sexual abuse victims, that any, especially a child, any child can recover from the initial abuse. God gives a resiliency in his grace to those folks. But it's when the people in authority, those who should help them resolve it and deal with it and bring to justice the wrongdoer, when they sweep it under the rug, they don't handle it properly, that double victimization is, is just devastating. And I think that's what's happening. Maybe not to that extreme, but you have folks who are struggling when they come to church. I know your church. I haven't been to it personally, but everything I see online and hear from you, it's a hospital ward. It's a place to get help. And what we're doing is if we're not careful, either in our homes, in our churches, folks are already struggling and they come to church and then we pass judgment on them. And so I think we really need to be honest about where that's even maybe subliminally being communicated and instead welcome them, affirm that there's a need there, and then point them to Christ, point them to the gospel. And I think that allows us to deal with both of these issues um, that many times we struggle with. And then I would just say this, um, you know, we kind of almost get into Job's friends kind of mindset. You know, what did Job's friends do? You know, it's your fault, Job. And right. And we know scripture indicates it wasn't. He was a righteous man. He eschewed evil. He had right. character and, and a godly reputation. So I think we sometimes either we ourselves listen to those kind of friends or we are those kind of friends. And we're never going to deal with these issues if we don't confront that, uh, that tendency that we have. Um, if you think about Christ, I think you see him battling both of these conditions we're talking about in the garden he battled depression. I mean, you know, he's sweating drops of blood. I, I don't know about you. I've never been so pressed as he was or depressed that I felt that kind of intensity. He did. Right. And then on the cross, I believe he maybe also experienced anxiety. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And so I think you see the pendulum swing of both of those. And then for the, and so then the conclusion would be this, Christ was sinless. So, you know, if Christ, if he was sinless, if he were a sinless man, as scripture records, and he experienced the range of those two emotions, then at least we have one exception um, to that statement. And I think you see clearly in scripture a lot of others. And so I think letting the word of God push back against both of those 
positions us as churches and as believers to give hope. Right. Um, as you began with today, uh, where we can't offer hope if, if um, we don't address those, those tendencies. I think that's so important to someone that's listening right now. Depression and anxiety isn't necessarily sin. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean a person is in sin. No. Um, it could lead to sinful decisions. Um, there could be, a, um, could be a reason because of sin we're dealing with that. But just because someone is depressed or dealing with anxiety, it's not that they're a sinner. Uh, or or sinning. They're, we're all sinners, but that doesn't mean that they're sinning, and that is a consequence of that. And I think that's important. I'm going to um, end with a with a question, because I believe as we talk through anxiety and depression, Scripture plays a vital role in the recovery. And so I want to go into anxiety and depression, and then end with what does Scripture, what role does it play in the recovery of it? Because as Bible believers we believe that um, the answers are found in scripture mm-hmm. and we may need to see a counselor and we may need to see a doctor and medication mm-hmm. might be part of the solution, but we know this, the solution, nothing can be the solution if you avoid scripture. Mm-hmm. So I want to end with that, but I want to get right into anxiety. We're talking about two things, anxiety and depression, and they are two different things, although one could lead to the other. Um, but with, um, with anxiety, what causes an anxiety disorder in a person? Sure. Uh, and I would say, as I mentioned a moment ago, ideal, probably anxiety is the um, number one thing that I navigate in counsel. Um, and I think we are seeing a spike in that um, in these recent days. We haven't, you know, you mentioned COVID-19, I believe, briefly, but there is the, the, the hot water, the pressure of this moment is exposing, I think, anxiety in ways that I have not seen um, in my years of ministry and counseling. And I think that actually could be a healthy thing because it's exposing where we thought we were okay and we're not. I don't know that the hot water creates the flavor of the tea in the tea bag, but it does reveal it. And I think we're seeing these things exposed. So we need to identify you know, where is the source and how can we address it. Um, with anxiety, I would say a couple of things, and I broke both of these maladies down in this way, these conditions. Theologically, um, I believe that both with depression and anxiety, we're dealing with mood disorder. Okay. So in, when God created the garden, the garden, put Adam and Eve there, as you mentioned, that was a, that's a great point, that it, everything was good, but it wasn't good that man was alone. I mean, that's amazing. God wasn't enough for Adam. Like that's, that's, that's mind blowing. We needed, he needed someone else. And so do we, but when he put him in the garden, this mood disorder, basically when the fall happened, everything got turned on its head. And so I think it's wise to view both anxiety and depression. We're going to talk about anxiety here first. What is the God honoring version of that tendency? The fact that we are prone to anxiety when stress comes, when pressure comes, so that we can ask God to redeem that and move us back in the direction he initially intended and someday will resolve. He will you know, resolve that issue that we have in our flesh. Um, and so I, the, the best that I have read on it, the best word I've heard is the redeemed version of it would be vigilance. Okay. So the desire to like carefully manage something, to protect it. It says Adam was put in the garden to keep it. And that idea wasn't just tending, it was also defending, protecting. 
And so I think um, theologically what happened was anxiety comes from that being ruined. We're no longer vigilant. We're anxious. Um, we feel helpless. We feel overwhelmed with the details of life and the struggles of life. And we have no, without God, we have no solution to process that or to fix that. Um, so I think theologically that would be key. Um, and it, uh, it basically took us from being a warrior, like fighting and defending to a warrior. Mm. Um, I love the definition. I forget who said it, but someone said, worry is praying to yourself. And I think that's what anxious people are doing. They're looking to themselves for either, oh, no, this is bad, and I don't know how to fix it, or they're actually trying to manage it or fix it on their own, and that only compounds it. So I think theologically, that would be one of the root sources of anxiety, not to super spiritualize it, but just we at least have to start there in our relationship with God. That, that gets a wedge between us and the Lord when we're anxious where he intended for us to be vigilant. Okay. Um, and I think what that does is just to encourage those watching that actually takes the shame away and I, that builds perfectly to what we just talked about, because that means then my tendency to be anxious is not something to run from. It's something to take and run toward God with and say, God, would you change this? Help me be more careful. Help me to be more thorough. Help me to be more vigilant. Um, and so, and several counselees that I've talked through that with, they've said to me repeatedly, it takes the shame away. So anxiety could be a good thing if it's redeemed. Anxiety could be transformed into my strongest attribute or asset as a believer. Um, and so I think that's key. Uh, secondly, I think psychologically, um, it's just the mind. The best way I can describe it is the mind going off the rails where it, it can't stay structured. Either it won't straight stay structured, there is a will involved, or over time as habits are developed or you know, learn from others around them, they cannot channel their thoughts in a proactive, intentional way. And the mind just races. Right. Everything is thought about and everything is felt uh, at the same time. Um, and so I think that would be key. Um, one author said, anxiety is vigilance out of control. Kind of that same thought that I mentioned. Anxiety is toxic scanning. So you're always, you're just, you're, you can't just be in the moment or just be present where you're at. You're worried about and wondering about everything. Sleep deprivation is a huge uh, characteristic that I see. That's using my first question to try to assess how intense it is. How many hours of sleep are you getting? And I immediately can usually tell just from that how intense it is because the mind just won't shut off. Uh, it, the body can't shut down because of that, that feeling. Um, panic attacks would probably be the most um, obvious and I would say pervasive evidence of anxiety in a psychological way. Um, the DSM, which is just a manual that psychologists use to assess anxiety and like panic attacks, they would list things like heart palpitations, sweating, trembling, uh, shortness of breath, the feeling of being smothered, feeling of being choked, chest pain or discomfort, nausea, abdominal distress, um, derealization, where you kind of almost feel like you're having an out of body moment, you're watching yourself do something or not do something. Um, and so those would be some of the symptoms, uh, chills, hot flashes, um, paralysis, where you just can't, you, you can't move your leg, you feel like you can't stand up. Um, and so those would be the kind of things that where the mind can actually produce physical symptoms. Um, the illustration that I use a lot would be like, if I describe Jeremy, your favorite food right now in great detail, like, I can't remember, we ate Indian food together a few months ago. 
But if I gave you that wasn't my favorite. It wasn't okay. I actually I think I got that vibe for the record. <laughs> but if I described it for you and talked about the texture, the taste, the smell, you know, just oh, like let's say it's a peach and right. just the flavor, I can just with my words create your mouth begins to salivate. You know, hopefully you ate lunch. I did a little bit ago. Uh, but it, 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 your mind can actually affect your body where you feel symptoms because of something you think about. So anxiety is largely a thinking um, issue or challenge or hurdle more than it is biological, more than it is physiological. We tend to focus on the body because that's what the brain is using to express the anxiety, but it, it often is a thought thing. So I think that's a key thing to understand with anxiety is a lot of it is thought patterns, thought habits, thought areas of weakness or struggle. Um, and so we have to deal with the mind, the renewing of the mind that we'll talk about in a moment with the mind is key. Um, and so those would be two sources. And then lastly, there are biological reasons for anxiety. Um, typically that would be where the body and the soul are interacting. So the material and the immaterial where those two things rub against each other it's right there many times that there's a something doesn't, there's a short, there's a, there's a disconnect. And because of that, an issue with the body, a legitimate issue with the body, now the soul or the spirit or the mind has anxious thoughts because they can't process those, those properly. And so those would be a few of the areas um, where you, you, you have legitimate issues uh, going on in the body that need to be addressed. One issue be like a, a hormone deficiency. Um, those are legitimate, testable. You can go to a clinic and get tested on your serotonin levels or which, whichever one is the issue. So those three areas and all of those are legitimate sources of anxiety that have to be addressed. The body, the mind, and then I think the spirit or the relationship with God. Okay. So, so what should a person not, should not do to process anxiety? Yeah. So we, okay. So we've identified what, you know, some of the root causes of it. What do we do when we bump up against that? Um, right. I think, and, and you could attest to this as well. And those watching, I think this is where we get off. So we have anxiety, we get over the stigmas we just talked about, but then we self process it. Right. Um, there's a term called dual diagnosis, which is basically you have um, someone who struggles with anxiety, depression, typically schizophrenia, something else more intense, bipolar, and so then to process that, they start drinking, they become an alcoholic, they become addicted to porn, whatever the specific thing is. And a lot of times we focus only on what they're doing that's so offensive or immoral, when often that is a, a person screaming for help. That's a person pleading for somebody to help them and, and they're trying to do it on their own. So th that's where we, we're talking now. You wander into those things, which what's that do? That compounds... There are a lot of medications you take for depression and anxiety that say right on them, do not drink while doing so, or, you know, other. So now you're creating all kinds of other issues as well. So that, so a few things I mentioned, number one would be, or I jotted down, ignore or suppress it. That's a bad mode of processing it. Um, so if, if God is sovereign, we as believers, those watching who believe God is sovereign, he's in control of all things. Not only is he in control of a world that's fallen, he's still using it for his purpose, but the consequences of sin are also under his control. So what we do is we ignore the core issue 
and then try to fight or resist or deny the consequences of that issue. When God has said, be anxious for nothing, you know, there, there are scriptures that talk about that. Um, there are things that talk about not being de depressed, let the joy of the Lord be your strength. So God has given us commands. And when we're not doing it for whatever reason, our own fault or just the struggle of the human condition, we're, we're fighting against or fighting a battle we can't win because the consequences of anxiety are still going to affect you, those watching. They're going to affect me when it's true of me. Right. It will affect me physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And so to ignore it or suppress it is to prolong or to exacerbate the consequences that God has ordained. So we can't do that. Uh, the second one would be vices, um, narcotics, pornography, you know, just mind-numbing TV in the evenings. Um, you know, whatever it is to try to check our mind out with anxiety. We're just trying to not think. Um, right. and, and those, those would be obviously unwise and wrong ways of processing. I get why folks do it. Um, but, but that's another way not to. And then lastly, it would be just excusing it. You know, you're hoping that you let others tell you it's no big deal. Um, you're valid to just let that rule and reign in your life or shape who you are. This those would be three that come to mind that I think we really have to push back against and, and not to get the solutions. We have to say no to those things. Okay. So we know not what not to do, but what help is available. We, we, we want victory and we need help. What is available and what is effective for someone that does battle with anxiety? I would say two things. One would be in the formal sense, I would encourage all who are watching, uh, tuning in that are struggling or know that they are someone they know is, is to get counseling okay. um, from a biblical therapist or counselor who is going to help you process the initial things you're navigating, as well as to help you find medical assistance if you need it. Anxiety uh, may not have the same consequences immediately as depression would with suicide and other things, but anxiety still needs often help. Um, and so I would encourage you, there, there are so many resources at our disposal now that I'm sure Pastor Rands would be aware, aware of or I would be aware of that we could point you toward that really would help you. You need an outside voice. You need someone who is objectively weighing in on the situation. And it's probably not a family member immediately, and it's not a neighbor though they may mean well, you need somebody to step in and give you some input. Uh, and then secondly, I think just personally, it's owning the fear that often grips. Fear is a key part of this. And, and anxiety alone is not sinful, but fear is. Fear um, that says no to God's will, resists God's will, doesn't do what God wants, uh, is sinful or is wrong. And so owning that and being willing to learn from that, um, to identify where it's wrong, uh, add back in the things that need to be there. The last thing I would say, Jeremy, would just be on this front, anxiety and fear, especially fear when it's wrong, it makes us self-absorbed. Yeah. And with that, we can get out of where God wants us. What are the two great commandments? Love God, love your neighbor. Right. And so one of the best ways I've found that folks have had success with anxiety is to focus on those relationships loving God and loving your wife, loving your kids, loving your grandkids. You can love your way out of a lot of anxiety as well. Again, not talking about the clinical aspects or the, the things that need formal counseling, but just those that struggle with anxiety even today in a more informal sense, th those are two quick ways to begin to get that going in. Because our, our life revolves around our problem, our whole orbit. That's where God is to be. That's where our family is to be, not, not ourselves. So those would be a few things that come to mind.
That's good. That's good. You, you had made a statement that anxiety and depression is different. Um, so can we move into depression some here? Sure. Uh, does, does depression stem from the same basic foundation or does different types of depression have a different foundation? Yeah, I would say, yes, there are various sources and manifestations of depression. Anxiety, I would say, is not one-dimensional, but comparatively to depression, it is. Okay. Um, depression um, would be, there's just so many sources that uh, can feed it or sustain it from uh, the things that I have studied and observations of counselees. It's, it's, it's hard to you can identify maybe that someone is depressed through a common set of uh, characteristics, but as far as digging into the source of it, there, there's a, there's a lot there. And so I think that I would say of the two, if you would ask me which needs to get to a counselor quicker, you know, between the two, I would say depression, both are serious, but depression has certain long-term side effects and immediate uh, risk that really need to be identified quickly and then begun to res be resolved. So yeah, there would be various ones. Um, I, I think two things I would say as it relates to kind of the theological with depression source or you know foundation. For the unsaved person, which if you don't know Christ as Savior, some of that unsettledness in your soul is the result of not having relationship with the God who made you. Right. And that God loves you and that God wants relationship with you. And there's a certain level of joy there's a certain level of satisfaction that you can't find outside of him. He is our joy. We're created to glorify him and enjoy him forever. That, that's, our, that's our wheelhouse in our existence. So I think some of the depression is rooted in that. For the believer, I think it's just part of our day-to-day. -day, it's just part of living in our world. Um, one author I was reading said this recently. He said, faith, uh, unlike some characterize it, is not always smiling. Like, I think we have, you know, you know, you come to, everybody's supposed to be smiley and happy and everything's rosy and the church ought to be a place and believers ought to have homes and lives that welcome the realness of life where faith is not always smiling. It's good. Uh, we just had one of our believers pass away just uh, a week ago or one of our church members that was, there was joy and there was happiness, but there were also tears and sorrow. That's just part of the struggle. Um, and so I think I, just acknowledging that the depression doesn't mean things are way off between me and God necessarily. It, it's just part of the human existence. And again, we could go to all kinds of Psalms uh, that reference that experience by sanctified people, thriving spiritually people who struggle. Right. Um, psychologically, I would say uh, usually trauma, uh, the death of a loved one, okay. uh, the loss of a career, um, the loss of some physical ability, um, you know, and the list goes on and on. There are a lot of things where that, that legitimately is going to affect you psychologically. Um, and that often the way the body and brain process that is it throws them into a spiral of depression where they get down, then they get down, then they get down as they live with the day-to-day -day grind of grief, um, uh, disability, you know, the list goes on of things. So those those are natural sources of depression. I would encourage those watching, if you've had a major life crisis, expect that you're going to battle depression okay. and, and be prepared for that and build, you know, relationships to help you see you through that season. Um, loss of a spouse. I don't know that I've, I've ministered to someone who lost their spouse that hasn't battled depression. 
that would be a very rare occurrence. And so a lot of that we can see coming if we let God help us and, and we can be ready for that. And then if you know someone who has gone through that, you come alongside them to help them. So those would be, that's just natural, that psychological source. Um, and then physically, um, just quickly depression. Um, the example I would give would be bipolar depression would be one version of depression. Um, and like uh, muscular scler uh, multiple sclerosis or a stroke can bring on that. Um, the uh, Cushing's disease, there are things where it's a major, the odds are you're going to develop depression if you've had this physical condition, uh, high blood pressure. I mean, they're just random things like that, that over time, your body, as it's processing those physical symptoms, it can throw you into a bout um, with depression. So all of those would be things that feed and even, um, you know, can bring back again about, about with depression you had years ago, or now some new physical challenge or psychological challenge uh, can bring that to bear. Good, that's good. So a lot of people I talk to that's going through depression, they feel like when they wake up every day, this is never going to end. Mm -hmm. And that feeds into that depression. There's no way out. How does a person going through depression remember it's just a season of their life. It's not defining the rest of their life. Yeah. What, what advice would you give to someone that's listening right now that says this is never going to end? That's a great question. One of your staff men uh, sent me that question. And I think that's a great view of where we try to get. We can't get there right away. You're not going to convince someone battling depression of that in the first conversation, or they're not going to convince themselves. But over time, that's the only thing that will sustain us. I don't know about you. I can go through almost anything as long as I know it's going to end. Yeah. I think that's part of what we're navigating right now is folks aren't sure about that, or it's not going to end at least with a resumption of normal, whatever that was. And so if there is that belief that largely sets a person up for some relief. And I think some resolution of depression, knowing that will occur. Um, just this quick story that just because I think it captures it. I was reading of a lady who, her dad had lost his wife, her mom, and she went to live with him. And uh, the wife or the daughter was living with her dad, trying to fill that void now of her grieving father. And she had gone with some friends out for the evening and she came back in the morning and found her dad with, her do with his dog sitting on this little uh, cabin that he was living in. And he told her the story that his dog had run away in the night. And so he... Uh, he, you know, what am I going to do? I got to find my dog. He's lost his wife. His daughter's gone for the evening. He's lonely. So he goes out into the woods to find this dog. He's calling it. He's making noise. He's yelling its name. And he said, eventually he got tired. It's the middle of the night, dark out. And he said, I just sat down. I just stopped where I was. And I sat down and his daughter asked him the next morning. She said, why'd you do that? Why didn't you panic? Why didn't you, you know, run and do something or give up or whatever? And her dad said to her, I knew the sun would come up in the morning. And I think that's, that's what gets us through all of us through depression is knowing that the sun, no matter what, how dark the night, and maybe some are in that right now in a way we can't even fathom, but the sun is going to come up. And I was thinking of the verses in Revelation 21, you know, where God changes everything. He comes and dwells with his people. He brings us to him. And in verse four, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, nor shall there be any more pain. And depression hurts. 
People can say it doesn't. If they don't, they've never felt it. There's no more pain for the former things are passed away. And so I know that sounds like a super spiritual answer, but we have to let that shape what is only at best a temporal moment or a series of moments to end with eternity. And eternity, by the way, that doesn't have anxiety and doesn't have depression. Um, and so I think that's where we go is we remember that God's still on the throne. The future is still secure. And then from that position of optimism and faith, okay, so if it's going to end well, how can I do right today? How can I do right tomorrow? Because today and tomorrow are a part of that plan. They're a part of the resolution of all things, including the pain that I feel so deeply right now. Now, the person that's sitting there and they think the sun's not going to come up tomorrow, where do they go to find help? I think you need to, two things. One, I think you need to be around people who do believe that it will. Um, I think we've all been in situations where our view of things is maybe um, either skewed by or um, affected by our circumstances. It's hard to be maybe objective in that situation. Um, or to be, you know, faith-filled. And so I think being around others, faith comes by hearing the word. Romans 10 is clear. We use that for salvation, but I think it applies to sanctification as well. So hearing someone else speak the word, I do think going to the word of God is key every day. Um, but I, I think you, you have a choice, Brother Rands. Either I can listen to myself or I can speak to myself. And I love the psalmist. He says, why art thou downcast, O my soul? Put your help in God, hope in God. So he, he, instead of listening to himself, he spoke to himself. And so I think just saying to yourself, the sun is going to come up. God is still sovereign and he's going to give me the people I need to help me, to see me through. I can honor the Lord as I move forward with, with depression. I believe that people that um, are dealing with anxiety and depression is a large audience that's going to be watching these um, but I would believe that there's also some, uh, a spouse that's watching because their husband or wife is battling depression, a parent's watching because their child is a child's watching because their parent is for someone who has someone in their life that's battling with either depression or anxiety. What do they do to try to help? Because they're not sitting in the dark waiting for the sun to come up. They're watching their loved one hurt. And um, what, what advice or what help can you give to the person right now watching saying, I need help dealing with someone I love that has depression or anxiety? Yeah, I honestly think because we have navigate this, navigated this in our personal lives, um, not just professionally or ministry wise, in some ways I think it's almost more overwhelming um, I just want to affirm that to the person who is watching that they're the, the one beside the one. They're sitting in the dark next to the one uh, who doesn't believe that, as you just mentioned, that analogy of the sun coming up. Um, and so I think it's one of the best ways that you can help them is by helping your own heart and mind be where it needs to be with the Lord. You know, it's like the oxygen mask. You and I spent <laughs> days on planes together a few months ago coming back from India, and they always instruct you, you know, put the air mask on, on your mouth first and then help the one next to you. So I think some of it's your own health and well-being. But a few things I would say is I think age-specific is key here. For youth and teens, so let's say you have a child who's battling depression, a teenager who's battling depression or anxiety, either one. I think you have to position yourself as an ally 
as an advocate, not as judge, jury, and executioner, you know, as we would say. You're coming alongside of them. Because, you know, if you think about the Holy Spirit as the paraclete, he's the one who comes alongside. So if I come alongside or I come over my child or teenager who's battling one of these, if I'm over them and not alongside of them, that is carnal. It may be well-intended flesh, but it's still fleshly. When I come alongside of them and say, I want to help you, I want to be with you through this, the spirit is in that. The spirit is in that posture or that tone. So I think that's key in, in how we handle, especially our young people, because we are authority over them. But if we're not careful, we speak to things we don't know enough about. Um, we speak in a way that doesn't help. It only hurts or closes them off to help. So I think that's key with parents that, I, that I'm battling. Even I have two teenage boys trying to keep that posture in my own life. Um, with adults, if you have an adult in your life who's battling that, I think you have to do it a little more indirectly. Um, and I would say what I try to do even as a counselor um, and a pastor, if I come into a situation where that person's adverse or resistant, is I try to expose them to resources. I try to expose them to things or people that will help them. They almost can discover for themselves. So, hey, here's a book I was reading, not about depression. Here's somebody I just saw on YouTube or caught something online of their live stream. It was just refreshing. It was positive. So you give them things that are not directly in their face. Hey, this is how to deal with depression, but give them resources and voices, expose them to resources that you know uh, will begin to speak into that. And obviously I'm talking about where there's not an urgent, you know, threat of suicide or, you know, no crisis thing that that's a way to kind of back your way into the conversation and they'll pick up on that. They still know what you're doing, but they see respect in that. They see deference in that to give them some room to process um, what they're dealing with. Um, and then I think just modeling it. Um, I, I've been trying to live this. It's been hard for me to do even what I'm navigating, nothing compared to some watching right now. But I heard the other day an author said, the greatest gift you can give someone right now is the gift of a non-anxious presence. Mm. So that, and that could be the same with depression. I, when I'm around them, the way I speak about my stress, the way I process the challenges that they know that I'm facing, just modeling that, not in a self-righteous way, but in a way that is, they can mimic it. If they want to handle stress better, hey, this person is trying, they're working at it, they're making progress. So I think that's a key um, aspect of that. And then just maintain your own health with the Lord. You know, it's the tendency is to let that person define how well you are doing. No, that, that's a place only for Jesus Christ to be. He alone is our identity. And so still worship him, pray to him, read his word, be in a strong place. The air mat, you know, the mask is on. So then when they're ready and when the opportunity avails itself, you can, you can help them. Good, good. I'm going to have our staff, if they haven't already, get some materials, some resources that um, you would recommend for parents and spouses and uh we'll put a list of those in the comments True. below and uh um but I, you've referenced a lot of things that you've read a lot of people you've read and so yeah. i think that'd be very helpful to yeah. uh, allow some others that are listening to this to to dig into that material as well absolutely if someone is and we're coming to the end here um if someone right now is dealing with um a panic attack they're dealing with depression they're in in the heat of it right now, um, if they can't express help, like sometimes when you're in the middle of it, you don't know what to do. 
you think no one cares. You think that there's no hope. You think that no one understands. You think that you're all alone. Um, because like you said, that depression can, it's not just, well, this is depression. And if you have depression, it looks like this and it's caused by this. Mm-hmm. It could be an elderly person that lost a spouse. It could be a person that worked for a job for years and then lost it and their identity is gone. It could be a loss of wealth or a loss of a child. Um, if someone's in the middle of it right now and they can't express help, what would you say to them? That, that is a, a loaded question that I, I have only been a few times in a moment that I can even relate to that, but we all have been around folks or interact with people where you, you basically, what depression specifically does is it produces a lack of feeling. So if I can't even feel, how can I be a part of the solution? I don't even have enough feeling to verbalize how I feel you know, or what I wish I did feel. And anything they do feel is just to flee. It's just a, it's just a bolt or to shut down. And, and so I think the key with that is this, and this is true in several areas, but I think especially here, I think what you do beforehand is key. So if you're in the midst of one right now, I'll give you a couple of things in a moment, but I think also, you know, if you're battling it tomorrow, it's going to be an issue again, likely this weekend or that specific trigger, that scenario, that situation, that occurrence. So I think in the moment, you probably will not have the strength to reach out, to make the phone call, to send the text, the whatever. So I think the key is what you determine beforehand is going to help you then when you get in the moment that you just described, Jeremy, which is when I get to this point, here's what I won't do. I won't move in this direction. I won't talk to that person or go there or, you know, engage in that. And I will always start with this and then I'll go to this. And what happens is it's like in temptation. We can broaden this to sin, you know, moral things as well. A prudent man foresees evil and avoids it. So, okay, this is a battle that I'm dealing with every day. And I think anyone who's battling anxiety and depression in our families or that are watching tonight, you know, you deal with it almost hourly. So I think the wise discerning believer says in a clearer moment, when I have a little bit of God given strength or an opportunity to connect with somebody, I'm going to, with help of a counselor or a friend, a trusted Christian friend, TCF is a term I use a lot, just find a trusted Christian friend and together build something that's going to work that you don't have to think when that moment comes. So I think that's key that I think if you can get out ahead enough to do that, then this situation that will help you. But if you're there right now, tonight, this tonight you have dark thoughts or racing thoughts. Um, I would say a couple of things. One, make sure that your focus is not emotionally oriented and that you focus on that, which is true. Um, Philippians four has been maybe overused at times, but it talks about, that we are to think on things that are pure, lovely, of good report, uh, virtuous. If we do so, the Bible says then, the peace of God, which passeth understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So there is a level of this you can't handle, but God, he requires the prerequisite. Here's what you have to do first, and that is you choose with your mind to focus only on that which is in those categories. And if you need to, I'd encourage you to go to Philippians 4, and read those verses 
And then remember that Paul was in prison when he wrote those. I think Paul was probably living that out in his own life. That's, it was birthed out of his own experience. Um, and he says, I'm only going to think on these things. And I have discovered, dear believer, that when you do so, the peace of God that passes understanding, the supernatural happens right. only when I'm very structured in my thinking. Um, if I were to ask any of us today, how do you feel about your anxiety and depression? Man, that's quick. I feel this. I don't feel this. But if I were to ask you, how do you think about it? That's, that's, the, that's the key. We all are good at feeling depressed and feeling anxious and right. identifying that for the most part. But it's, we're well practiced. But it's our thought patterns, as I mentioned a moment ago, that's the key. Right. So if you can try to get your focus off of how you feel, I know that's hard. I know that's hard. And say, God, give me with the help of your spirit and your word and other voices to move to a truth focus that that'll free you from that crisis moment uh, over time. So you really answered my last question. What part does scripture play in the recovery process? And yeah. you really touched on it there. Is, is there anything else you would like to add? Yeah, to? Only verse I would add would be second Peter one, where it talks about um, in verse three, God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And then verse four, it says, so that we might escape the corruption through the lust of this world. So if the Bible has all things that pertain to life, that, that's a pretty broad category and godliness, then the word of God is a key component. It's not the only one. And we've tried, I think, to be careful with that, that there may be a chemical issue. There might be a medical issue, a psychological issue, but we never can compensate for the theological or the biblical with those other methods. And so maybe one of those needs addressed first as the primary need, but really the primary need is our relationship with the word of God. And that, that speaks to all issues. And here would be the final thought I have as it relates to the Bible. There's always a God honoring way to deal with depression and anxiety. It may involve other resources, but it's always going to be the Bible way. It's always going to be God's way. And so I think the role of the Bible is it sets the boundaries, again, of what we will do and not do, what we will think about and not think about, what we'll believe and not believe. Um, and then within the bounds of Scripture, any solution or input we can get, we, we open our hearts and lives up to that. And uh, God, gets be God blesses obedience to his word. He blesses trust and faith in his word. Uh, he gets involved in, in these kind of struggles when we determine to live and do it by his book. Yeah. It, that right there is a great thought. God gets involved. Mm -hmm. And that's where our, our help comes from. To yeah. think that we have a problem, but God will get involved in it. To yeah. think that we're struggling alone, but God will get involved. And the person right now that's listening to this and thinking that it's hopeless, the creator of this universe wants to get involved Amen. in what you're doing and how you're feeling yeah. and resolve that. And what, what comfort is there. Pastor Snowden, I want to thank you. Your, your insight has been so valuable. Um, I think you've really added a lot to this series and I want to thank you for your time. And I want to thank you for serving the Lord and helping so many people as pastoring and also counseling. Um, I can tell just listening to you that, that the heart of a pastor and then the heart of a counselor as well. And um, thank you so much. Okay, and so Mark, I want to invite our audience back tomorrow evening. There's life after depression as well. One of the things that Pastor Snowden mentioned is it, it's, it's a season, and it is a season. 
And there's also a season afterwards that we want to make sure we're focusing on because there is hope. And I want to invite you back tomorrow evening for our final episode, our fifth episode of Life After Depression. Again, Pastor Snow, I want to thank you for your time and all of your input. And I pray the Lord blesses you and your ministry in a great way. Thank you, brother.